0: Your next game is going to be spiritually expanding, and here's why. In this episode, we're going to find some answers to what essentials do you need to create your deity? And how do you build a religion without burying yourself in world building? And what details help you roleplay the faithful and the pious? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. And I'm his brother, Jordan. Neither one of us, I think in our history of role playing have ever played clerics. Well, yeah, I guess you've called us out. Yeah. I mean, I've I don't think I've ever played a cleric just because it's too much of a role playing jump for me to make. I can play a rogue. I can play a bard. I can play a lot of different characters and I can get into some weird spaces. What I just do not have the skill to role play is somebody who has any faith in anything <laughs> wow. or a good person. You're so jaded. <laughs> <laughs> I think originally my problem with it was, I guess, kind of the same, but just not wanting to play that character that puts his hands together and says, please bless me <laughs> in all that I do. I don't know. That just wasn't that intriguing to me. Yeah. But now that I know a little bit more, clerics are some of the most versatile characters you can play. Well, I think the real challenge here for us is to find a system that will actually allow me to tackle that role playing challenge, because I still I do not feel like I am up to the challenge of portraying a character like this, because I think, like you just mentioned, since I have no lived experience of being a good person... (laughs) Then I'm going to fall back on the tropey, tropey, trope trope stuff of, yes, oh, please uh, guide my hand. I am your faithful servant. And I don't know. That's just boring. Yeah. And I think a reason it's so easy to fall back on that is because I realized in creating this episode that there's nowhere on the character sheet for this stuff. Yeah. For religion or deity or... Well, there's no spot for that on the character sheet. However... If you would like some texts, boy do I have some for you, some tomes. I mean, that's the other challenge that I run into with this. There are thousands. There are hundreds of deities in the forgotten realms alone. If you jump into any <laughs> other of the campaign settings, and then of course if you b- pick up another campaign setting, Jesus, there's there's more there for you too. Yeah. You got dozens. Yeah, if you want to play a cleric, you've got required reading of like 15 pages of deities. <laughs> like somebody going to a seminary, you should probably just sequester yourself in a room for three years while you read through the texts and truly t- try to understand some of the the deities that writers have made for you in order to properly uh, convey that in a role playing session. And I think when guiding people to make a cleric, I've so often just been like, you want to be a good guy? Yeah, be a good person. Follow Paylor. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Paylor is the god of light. Whatever. Follow him. You'll be fine. You end up using only three of the deities. Yeah. In any of the lore anyways, because they kind of fall into the like the three main categories of like, here's a good deity. Here's a bad deity. And here's someone that's just kind of in the middle. Uh, Here's the trickster one. Yeah, or you you choose how you want to flavor some spells. I want to be a fire cleric. Okay, here's the god of fire. (laughs) Go and You worship fire now. Yeah, it's just like, okay, (laughs) I get it. I get it. It's very kind of one dimensional. And that's what we're talking about today is creating a religion and a deity for your character that have a lot more to go on and to role play off of. Rather than trying to adopt something from some massive compendium, but not needing to go super deep with it, there is a wide margin between what is roleplayable and what is just more lore. Lore is great, lore is cool, write lore, but don't expect that it's going to come up in every character interaction. What do you need? to actually pepper in some role playable character details and details about your religion in a way that isn't going to have to be monologued <laughs> and i think we've mentioned this before but you bring up a really good point travis which is if you're going to create a 30 deity pantheon as the dm you're doing it for you not for your players which is fine but just know that it's not necessarily adding to the roleplay abilities And if I'm creating a character, sometimes I don't want to go off of the options that were presented to me. It's going to be a lot easier for me, especially maybe as an inexperienced role player, to have wrapped my head around the deity that I create rather than one that I've been forced to adopt. Yes. And another reason I think it's fantastic to create the deity and the religion with creating the character is that I think they're all tied together. Like, it feels weird to create a character and then be told, okay, we're going to plop this deity on top of that character, and that's that. The funny thing about how we got here is basically the same reason that we're talking about this in the first place and the challenge that we came into writing an episode about clerics. We tried to write an episode about clerics, and we realized that this had to come first because... If you're playing a war cleric, then again you're just going to end up diving into this one-dimensional character. If you're not careful, it's just everything's about <laughs> war, is war, war, war. What do we do in this situation? War, and that's boring. That's one-dimensional, and it's going to tire itself out really quick. So, in trying to figure out how to play clerics better, we realized that you had to figure out how to build a god or a deity or a religion better in the first place. Yeah. So in those efforts, that's what we're talking about today in this episode. Specifically, we're going to go over how to create your deity and then how to create your religion. And we're going to do that in the Strategy Stateroom. This is the Strategy Stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. All right, so the steps of building this stuff out. First, we're going to look at the deity. And cover the backstory, the traits, and the goal that you want to build. And we know that while a deity may be one thing, the religion that follows it may be entirely different. So the steps to doing that is, once you have your deity, is build some values, goals, a path for that religion, and then to add some dynamism, some allies, and opposition. Because without those, you barely have a story. Okay, so going back to the deity... Yeah, let's dive into the details, Jordan. Before you can really think about the backstory, which I think is a great place to start, do it in whatever order you want, it really inspires this whole process if you can figure out some domains. I think that's kind of a given for most deities when they're being created, is they have like a domain that they oversee. Yeah. Whether it's knowledge or... Underworld. Nature, stuff like that. Toenail clippings. As we've noticed in a lot of different role-playing pantheons there is always some overlap like a god of law could have a very different field depending on what other domains has been paired with that law true it creates a very unique inspiration for that deity depending on what you've got combined law and ice cream is going to be very different than (laughs) law and i'm not taking god creation notes from you (laughs) The notes are good, just the specifics are bad, okay? (laughs) Ice cream law. (laughs) You shall enjoy chocolate. I will never enjoy chocolate ice cream. That's the ice cream law. (laughs) Moving on. After your domains, I think it's good to think about the type of theism you've got rolling around in your head. So if it's a monotheism, that's really simple. You're just going to do this deity. But it becomes a lot more interesting when you introduce polytheism. Because you can have, because you can have very different things going on with multiple gods. I mean, are they all jealous of each other, mm, or yeah. are, are they all actually working together and they're super chill about each other? Kind of mixing and matching a bunch of them is kind of how you get the Greek pantheon. I feel like there was a lot of a jealousy and rivalry <laughs> and friendship and cousin Marion and just some weird stuff going on in the whole Greek pantheon. That yeah. was a rich, deep, vain of stories yeah because you went all the way from you know two gods would give birth to another god to one god went for a walk in a garden and got down with somebody that they came across uh, <laughs> with and kind of made a, a demigod i could be totally wrong but i think there were some gods that just like sprouted from other gods shoulders and stuff like that <laughs> like there's no rules that's awesome and that's the kind of creativity <laughs> that we want to have in our pantheons absolutely the takeaway for me from that, though, is that polytheism doesn't mean all these different gods are at war with each other. If you've got two different deities that are totally isolated from each other and they're angry at each other, you've almost got two monotheisms because mm, they're too far removed. Yeah. like, And I guess the other consideration is, does the religion follow both gods or are there two religions that follow two gods that are fighting with each other? Ah, I see. When we're creating these deities, we really want to sit down and consider like how do we want them to interact with one another? And if you're a player, well, you're just trying to consider are there any other gods or deities in this pantheon that you want it to be kind of allied with? Or is it just kind of an island of its own and it doesn't really give a shit about the other deities? Yeah. And for creative license, I almost like taking the approach of You know, there's an unlimited number of deities out there. Oh, yeah. You can worship whatever the hell you want. Yeah. And new ones are being created all the time. And this is, I think, really going to influence how a cleric is eventually going to feel about others in their world, how this god interacts with others. Yeah, totally. That's a great point. Next, you want to think about what kind of a god you're dealing with. How did they become a deity? Were they a mortal that rose up due to their epic deeds? Were they brought down to mortal status from godhood and then maybe sent back? Oh, very nice. Were they spawned from nothingness and they just came to be because of a universal need for them? Were they like the old gods? They've always existed since before the universe kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they're just weird aliens, like Superman. <laughs> Just a super weird alien working in a newspaper. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And all of that leads us to the point where we can think up some kind of a short backstory for the deity. And that just needs the details. Like you can take this as far as you want to take it. But we think that it boils down to what what was there before the god? What event created the god? And what's the purpose of the god now that they exist? And this goes back to our earlier point of, yes, lore building is awesome. World building is awesome. It is so much fun. But does it end up coming up and influencing your role playing in as much as we think it does? So Jordan and I went back and forth for hours on really what is at the core of a good deity backstory. And it really came down to these three things. We need to know before the god what existed. Was there war all the time and this god of peace came in to quell that to balance a very chaotic world and if so that's going to influence our role playing it's going to influence how we how we approach turbulent times within our game so what was the state before the god came into creation and then of course that event that created the god which is usually whatever there was before gets so tense that something needs to happen so the God steps in to change what's happening. Like, Like if you've got humanoids pushing into nature too much, then some powerful force might step in and stop them, and then they're known as the deity of nature. They may have always existed, but they saw, since their domains are balance and nature, well, that deity is now going to make their presence known. So what were the conditions that forced this deity into action? What were the circumstances that created it? And then, of course, you've got the final part, which is the underlying purpose. So this can be related to what was before and what created, but this is the final goals of that god. And this will come up all the time. It's like, oh, why do you worship this deity? Well, because they protect the natural spaces. They bring people together. Keep this one at the forefront, because, yeah, you're totally right, George, this is going to come up a lot. And this one is the one that determines, okay, does the nature god want to see the eradication of all that has been built and the overwhelming of nature taking over the entire planet? Or does it simply just seek balance? Or does it seek everyone to respect the nature and to foster its growth? But doesn't necessarily have this like totalitarian (laughs) vines everywhere kind of bend. And that will completely change the direction of your god. Or does it just send foxes into everyone's home to steal their pants? Its goal (laughs) is to just. It's a trickster domain (laughs) and nature split. Yeah. I like that. You can't ruin nature if you got no pants. (laughs) It's also the domain of nonsense. Fair point. Then we get into the traits of the deity. We've talked about this with all kinds of character building stuff before, and a deity is really just a character that's super powerful. So, as a quick recap, when we're doing character creation of any kind, typically Jordan and I recommend that we pick five traits. So two good, one neutral, and two bad. And that is generally going to build you kind of a balanced character. But when we're creating deities, it's kind of an important point, is do you want a vengeful, angry deity, or do you want a generous and benevolent one? Joyous and kind and all the good things. In that case, we're going to go from the very balanced two good, too bad, one neutral, and we're going to shift that balance just a little bit. So now we're going to go three good if we want some kind of benevolent god, or we can go with five if it's just a perfect being. And you can do that, but... The dangers of going too far in either direction is that it makes it less of a character more of just a concept that doesn't really add to the gameplay as much. This is where you end up going towards that Paylor, the all-powerful and all good is it's just so one-dimensional that it's a little bit less interesting but having some negative traits yeah. to this god is going to help you role play a character if you are a firm follower and believer in this particular deity. Well, you might embody some of those negative traits too. A great deity that wants to see peace and love might also be kind of a vengeful one that really brings the hammer down when somebody deserves it. And so people might look at this cleric eventually and say, wow, that person flies off the handle, but it's very much in line with their deity. And contrary to that, if you want to play a cleric that maybe rallies against some of the aspects of their deity that can be really interesting role playing. yeah like if they believe in what they stand for but not necessarily them as a character just like what happens with leadership and this can create a lot of dynamism and confusion and character growth within the character based on how you build that god and that's the most interesting part of clerics to me is getting some inner turmoil going on if everything is too perfect it's too boring. So (laughs) let's go on to their goals. The personal goal of the deity. This is what change the deity wants to see, not necessarily just in the world. Maybe it's between them and other deities. Maybe it's something that they're working on personally that almost doesn't even have anything to do with the mortal world. (laughs) This is the part that I really enjoy because, again, some of those higher powers, maybe we don't fully understand them. So like you said, Maybe they've just got a beef against another deity and their followers are totally misrepresenting or misinterpreting <laughs> that. It's like the powers that be are too high to understand. And I think they just want to put party hats on everybody. <laughs> They're really about partying and getting down. But but that actually secretly pisses off another deity. When when party hats spawn into existence on people's heads, it is the deity of nature who's pissed off that we keep making paper party hats, <laughs> chopping down trees, and that perfectly segues into our next little bit about creating allies and nemesises. Nemesis? Nemes Nemesis? There we go. I think everything needs an ally and a nemesis. <laughs> Thank you. We're just going with it. A character or a (laughs) religion. Now, I don't think this is absolutely critical here, but it's kind of an important point. We've actually built the whole ally and nemesis into when you're creating the religion, because that's going to be far more role playable. However, if you're a DM and you're just creating a deity for your pantheon, then just to add a little bit more dynamism, you may want to step in here and build some ally and nemesis uh, in this spot. We think it's pretty good to stop at about five deities if you're going to go down this path. Because if you got your first deity, you're loving them, then you create a, an ally deity and a nemesis deity, you could just keep branching forever. And that's where you get into that world-building spiral. But if you create five that all are interconnected, each one of them is an ally and a nemesis of another, then you've got a pretty interesting group of deities that all has got some beef and some love for the others. And if you are creating that... And I've gone into the world-building pantheon spiral before. <laughs> and trust me, stay the hell out of that vortex. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. sucks. It leads me to some weird places. This one's <laughs> all about ducks and long legs. <laughs> because this is my 50th one, and I'm running out of ideas. No, Jordan, what you just said is a really important point. Stopping at five and creating an ally and a nemesis for each one of your deities means that you end up in this like kind of five-way battle, for supremacy in your pantheon. But more importantly, if you're a DM and you're building some of these gods for your players to use, more than five is just going to be overwhelming. Yeah, But if you're creating deities that basically operate as these five points, every player is going to be able to identify their character with at least one of them. And they'll be able to choose a lot easier. And this could be its own whole episode, but there's a lot of ways to structure these five if you want to. Like you could build it almost like a party of adventurers with different specialties. We've actually done that. We wrote a campaign around adventurers that kind of ascended to godhood. Yeah, became immortal based on their triumphs and actually split as opposing forces and opposing gods based on their different roles in the party and how they once jived together and then they no longer did. That was a, t- that was a ton of fun. <laughs> See, it's a fun spiral. All right. So moving on to the religious side of it. You've got your deity created. Now you need to create how the mortals that worship them actually kind of interact with the god. So here we're going to start with values. Every religion is going to be born of certain values. And this is very, very similar to our culture creator. If you want something that is truly unique, that doesn't pull or draw a lot of inspiration from real world religions, and you want to try to be a little bit more sensitive to these things, this is a great way of going about doing it because it's really hard to create something that already exists when you're pulling values that contrast just out of the air. And I think this is a crucial step because when you sit down and create these values, we suggest five values too. Yeah, nice round number. But when you do this, you're setting the morality of this religion so that you don't fall on those tropes. Travis and I's idea of good and bad is very warped. So you don't, (laughs) (laughs) as we've established (laughs) with me. The point is, everyone's got a different idea of it. And what you're doing here is creating your religion's idea of good and bad. And that will influence everything they do. And since each one of those viewpoints is distinct, you're going to automatically create some interesting behaviors and some challenges that they're going to face and some things that they're opposed in the world just by creating these different values. And each follower can follow one, two, or five of these values. Like, Maybe they're not a great follower and they've just chosen the one, you know, the, the cherry picking of religion. Yikes dangerous waters. Or maybe you're creating a follower that is absolutely devout and lives their life by all five of those values. And when they stray from those values, that's going to create some really interesting role play. And another really cool thing I think about this part is that you can create really quick myths based on these values. So if you want to flesh out your religion and have some you know, heroes of legend then you just have them either embodying or going away from one of these values. And that's a lesson in the morality surrounding it. As a bit of a recap on our culture creator, every culture is going to have values that they're going to put at the cost of others. So they're going to lift certain values high. And that's why they've come together as a group. Same thing with religions. So a religion is going to have a few values that it's going to say these are paramount to everything. If there is something in life to pay respect to and to honor, it's these values. However, there will always be another value that maybe suffers. Maybe it's individualism, and that's where you get into some weird religious cult, and you are now just a a number that wears the same weird jumpsuit. (laughs) Maybe... Physical prowess is a value of a religion. Or maybe you could even put a martial art at the center of your religion, and that is the the way to uh, our deity. Heck yeah. That allows for a pretty quick recognition of the, the followers. <laughs> and, and if you're not a follower, then you might be mistaken as one if you use some similar weapon or style. I want to create just some total batshit religions that are like, The followers of the ladder, whoever can climb the ladder the fastest, (laughs) you are the closest to the heavens. (laughs) There you go. That's logical. In religion building, you've also got the goal, but unlike the deity where it's a personal goal of that character, the goal here is what's the end goal of the followers? Like why are the followers actually following this deity? What are they going to get out of it? Is it to spread the good word of this particular deity Is it to dominate all other religions that it sees as blasphemous? Is it to find enlightenment on this mortal plane? Is it to go to some form of a better place? Is it to come back as a more powerful form? And this is rarely in line with the God's true motivations. So these are always being interpreted all the time by whoever is perhaps leading this religion. And therefore, this is another place where you can have a lot of role playing fun if you're a player. What does the text say? And what do the followers actually do? This can make it for some really, really wild scenarios. And this allows you to easily create so many different types of groups of followers. Ooh, there you go. So now we're getting into the followers themselves. How big is the following? Is this just a a group of Six like-minded individuals that are trying to spread the good word? Or is this 30% of the population? And this is the dominating religion that everybody follows. And if you're not, I'm suspicious of you. (laughs) Oh no. Then we come to the path. And this is where so much of the role-playing that your character is going to do comes in. And I found it broken down in a really interesting way in something I was listening to on The Great Courses Plus on comparative religion. Professor Charles Kimball, who put it like this. There's four paths. The first one is the path of faith. This is where you have complete trust in the deity. It's really hard to shake a person from this path. They just believe completely in what their deity is going to do for them when they need him. A fictional character that Travis and I both love is Conan the Barbarian, and his god Krom kind of illustrates this, (laughs) in that he's got full belief in his god Krom, but no faith That Krom would actually help him when he needs him. Yeah, it's just a help yourself, puny mortal. Yeah, which is kind of neat. Which brings us to the next step, which is devotion, which is all about kind of your personal feelings and emotions towards the deity. What will you do for your deity versus what your deity is going to do for you? This is what happens from like deep prayer sessions kind of thing. Then we come to the path of action, which has the most physical evidence to it. This is rituals and ceremonies and traditions and the physical actions your character is going to take when they're kind of saying thanks to their God. Yes. So this is going to provide a lot of role playing capability, considering what your character's rituals are. And this can be from the simplest of little things. You know, like we can all think of real world religions that have gestures or times of prayer or anything like that. So trying to come up with some creative rituals based on some of the core values, again, go back to the values and go back to their domains to, for a lot of inspiration on what you should make for a ritual. If it is a god of combat, then sharpening your sword is now a religious ritual. And there might be a chant that goes along with it or a mantra that you yell when you run into battle. Or yet, yeah, you know, you mix in these other paths to that. So you've got a deep emotional connection when you're sharpening your blade and the other members of your party can see that. And that's going to convey so much more than any backstory or written deity description can ever do. So focus on how these come to play in a particular game and where you can actually work them into what's happening in the action. And you can even work in the final path to this, which is the path of meditation. So, you know, do they do one of those rituals before or after a meditation session? And if you're a player, I'm going to issue you this challenge. Try to get one of the other players at the table to ask about your god without you ever explicitly (laughs) stating it, but just creating some really cool rituals and actions that just inspire exploration yeah having another player ask you about this is again so much better than just providing it on a character sheet so that's your challenge i want to see if you can do it and just as more inspiration for the action part you know it can be those individual movements and and rituals but it can also be annual traditions ah yeah festivals and things like that exactly Cities can be celebrating them or you can be celebrating them on your own. And when your party members do ask, you kind of say, yeah, this is the day of feasting on chicken. Maybe you write something on your body. Maybe you adorn your cloak with something new. Play a bongo solo on your belly. (laughs) (laughs) It's 430 in the morning. (laughs) I need you to stop practicing your religion. It's waking me up. Bongo bellies, bongo. Oh, God, no. And the next step is where you get into all of the conflict that can happen because of this religion, which is the allies and the opposition of the religion itself. There's just so many avenues you can go down for the opposition. Like, is it a force that opposes the religion? Is it a separate religion? Is it a subgroup of this religion that disagrees with one of those values, like we were talking about? or with the goal any conflict over a single value is often enough to find a way to create a really rich and interesting opposition and if you've got an adventure that involves any kind of like cult or religious group i would find it so much more fascinating for it to be a group that's on the other side of the same religion as your party's cleric or paladin than just like here's random cult x yeah this is such an important point because as a DM, nothing feels worse than your intense doomsday cult kind of falling flat, and none of the players being like, Well, I guess we have to take them out because they're a doomsday cult. You will create so many more different ways of opposing that particular cult if it's built based around religion. It's going to be less of a murder hobo session. <laughs> If there is something deeper, and that's why we get into those kind of murder hobo scenarios where players are just murdering everything because they don't know of a different way to interact with them. You, as a DM, have created this evil cult, which we just have to assume is evil, and therefore they must die. Let's stop them. Yeah. And that's fine, but it can get really boring. And I wish I would have done this for one of my earlier campaigns, which, you know, I was trying to run the Tiamat dragon adventure where there's a cult trying to bring back the dragon queen. Well, there's, I did Princes of the Apocalypse, and that's the same thing. They're cults, but the only reason they oppose each other is because they're a different element. I mean, there's (laughs) so much more there that I could have done as a DM had I really put the time into maybe recrafting some of those cults into ones that really morally opposed one another rather than just the element that they were based around of what they wanted to see happen to the world. (laughs) I like fire. They were all going to destroy the world. They were just going to destroy it (laughs) differently. So I, as a DM, struggled the entire time. of Why are these even working against each other? Yeah. They could actually achieve this if they just work together. Just have one little meeting to discuss their plans. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Much more powerful. Anyways, the next step is really kind of those role playing details. And these are kind of the cherries on top. So you can finally kind of wrap this up with considering what are some of their blessings. So if you're a player, you want something to bless people and say, Peace be with you, my brother. Or what blessings do the followers get for living in alignment with those values? Does the deity throw down a cake in their path? (laughs) Says, Good job, cleric. Do they have a an actual worship site or does it move? Where is that? What time of day is it at? Do they have to spend time to set it up everywhere they go? Do they walk around in a single file line and smack themselves on the forehead with a two by four? <laughs> <laughs> That's a quick call out to the wonders of Monty Python. What phrases do they use to infer blessings or curses? Oh, nothing feels better than Bounding into battle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yelling out some curse. Yep. You have to follow that up with that punishment for immorality or not following the God because that goes into your curse. You curse and then you say, this will happen to you for a thousand years. Like, you got to mix those two together. Yeah. Your knees will be tapped at for a thousand years. <laughs> They go together like pie and ice cream. So as a recap, you're going to start by building your deity, which is defining a backstory, picking five traits, and defining what their personal goal is. Then you're going to move over to building the religion, in which you're going to pick five values, create a goal for the followers, and the path that those followers use to reach that goal. Then you're going to figure out your allies and opposition for both, and a couple of the role-playing details that follow all of those and you've got so much to work with there you're done good job so we would love to hear some of your ideas for religions and deities please let us know hop onto our discord and tell us about the creations that you've made whether you're a player or a dm and with that we're going to introduce some of our personal deities the ones that we worship in the extra-dimensional gateway This is the Extra Dimensional Gateway, where unique heroes from strange alternate realities are recruited. Alrighty, so we wanted to build our own Pantheon. Yes, you can use these for inspiration if you like. And then we started writing and we were struggling. We didn't know where to go. Where do we build? Our pantheon from where do we find that inspiration of our own? And we started to ask ourselves, well, who do we patron? Who, who do we look up to? And who do we believe in? Who provides us with our direction? So, without further ado, let's introduce our very first god, Wilhepicus. The domains of Wilhepicus are justice, peace, protection, and moderation. <laughs> Will Hepicus was the first of many deities. To tame the universe as it was being born, there came an entity who had visions of unrest, believed in service, and knew how to father and foster peace and balance. Next, we have Hilvar Leprecanium. Hilvar's domains are mountains, destruction, cartography, and puzzles. Hilvar was the only mortal to find his way through the impossible puzzle-crammed mazes of a previous deity, which wound its way through the deepest mountains. Upon his success, the deity gave its powers to Hilvar, who immediately used them to destroy the mountains and shoot that asshole into space. (laughs) Next, we have Adamantine Arms, whose domains are Accuracy, Armor and Weaponry, and Gambling. There were a million ways to take up arms before Adamantine came to be. He sat in contemplation for 10,000 years, absorbing them all, before making his proclamation that changed the way that it was done forever. He now spends his free time gambling. Then we have Vremax Aldrost. Whose domains are settlements, invention, and redemption. Vremax led the long rebellion against the demon hordes. Until the other gods were like, wow, this guy's good. Screw cleric. He's been doing all our work for us on this one. Let's make him a god. So now he guides clerics in the creation of new settlements and ideas. And then you have Redfern. Domains of friendship, loyalty, and optimism. Redfern isn't so much a physical being as it is an entity that binds others together. Its followers often represent it in lore as a gigantic dog bounding through green fields. Followers of Redfern all give up their names in solidarity and simply share the name Henry. (laughs) Next, we have Timus Natsky, whose domains are mentors and partners, brew and food. Timus is considered the guiding hand and inspiration for new experiences. He's a benevolent teacher and guides partners to grow together. Followers are joyful, having complete faith in the path he lays before them as he guides them to seek the best in life. Then you have Belstair the Retentive with the domains of history, renewal, runes, and capes. (laughs) Belstair ascended from a fallen paladin who died as a savior of others. In this moment, he was given a glimpse of all knowledge in the universe and in this moment absorbed and retained it all. Wow. Next we have... Why is it sky, whose domains are mystery, and the rest lie a mystery. Not much is known about this entity, but like gravity, its presence is felt everywhere. Does it come from another plane of existence? Did it come from above or below? What are its intentions? We may never know. Then you have Garden Gladbow with the domains of ancient knowledge, spring, flowers, and kindness. Garden is a fey creature and seeker of ancient wisdom. With a voracious appetite for knowledge, she ascended to deity status when she finished cataloging all world history. She sits within a library filled with books and blossoms. Then we come to Scotus the All-Knowing, whose domains are the mind, mayonnaise, bird kind, and martial arts. There's a pocket of the universe where thoughts collect. These thoughts eventually manifested as Scotus, And Scotus imparts this knowledge back into mortal minds in unpredictable ways, sometimes referred to as receiving mind mayo. (laughs) (laughs) I can't. (laughs) Then we have Zalgo from above, with the domains of art, the Underdark, and the cosmos. Some claim Zalgo is from another planet, some from an unknown dimension. The only thing for sure is that it came from above, and now people visit, and now people visit it to gaze into another reality, plumbing the depths of their own fear and creativity. Then we come to Rokia Bulo, whose domains are connection, canines, trees, and introductions. Rokia is aware of all that happens in natural spaces, and she seeks to introduce mortals to new places and new friends, usually dogs and peoples. Those that forge a true connection with this deity find themselves more delighted by everything under her domains. And finally, we have Mercer the Merciful, with the domains of art, food, plants, and humor. This demigod lives in a pocket dimension of plants and prosperity. Their symbol is a horn of plenty, for it is the giver. Followers of Mercer never go without or go hungry. It bestows happiness among those that need it the most. And for anyone that's not one of our wonderful patrons on Patreon... That's what we're doing here. These are the people that support us on Patreon and we couldn't be more thankful. So they form our pantheon. Yeah, so (laughs) that was a fun exercise. And boy, did it tap my creativity. (laughs) I was spent after this one. Oh, that was great. And it really was an exercise that proves that with a few weird domains, you can make some fantastic short stories that explain how the god came to be well to be honest i really want to dive in deeper on a couple of these because i feel like they offer a ton of opportunity to really explore these gods and like what their what their followers would look like like i really want to explore this <laughs> yeah and to the deities just described please uh, let us know what you think of your new <laughs> <laughs> domains and backstories we really do love to try to pay tribute to all of our wonderful patrons and when they help guide uh what kind of topics we talk about on our Discord or on a Patreon directly through like polls on which episodes come next and things like that, they really end up being a little bit more like our producers. Like they're kind of deciding the direction of the show because we throw it out there and we're like I don't know. Fuck. What do we do next? <laughs> and without and without your engagement, we would just feel like a couple of chumpy dummies hanging well, out in their basement. <laughs> That's the real trick of doing a podcast, though, because without people like these, your voice just goes out and into the world <laughs> and it just disappears. Feels weird. Yeah, it feels really weird. And you need you need that engagement. You need people to bring those ideas back. So that you can start a bit of a dialogue because otherwise, yeah, you just kind of get lost. Anyways, thank you very much to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects that you heard in this episode. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and even Reddit. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening and, and all beware games. the wrath of the 13 patrons. <laughs> <laughs> Are they wrath? <laughs> I hope not.